Hello and welcome to the Distance Diaries podcast. Uh, my name is Fraser and I'm from London. And my name is Natalia and I'm from Mexico City. Thanks so much for, for listening. What have you been up to this week, Fraser? Sure, so it's been actually a little while since we last uh, recorded an episode. My and fault, sorry. <laughs> not not really, not entirely for sure. Um, but yeah, so since then I actually took a little trip up to Scotland. I went up to Edinburgh uh, just for a couple of days and uh, see some family up there, which is really nice. Um, also, it's been uh, bonfire night uh, last week, so went and saw some fireworks as well. And yeah, I've been seeing a, a few places around London. So yeah, I've been, been trying to explore a lot as well. How about you? Do you want to explain what Bonfire Night is for non-UK listeners? Yes, although I probably won't, won't do a very good job. So it is annual and <laughs> it's to commemorate the attempted plot to blow up the House of Parliament by Guy Fawkes um, many hundreds of years ago. Yeah, uh, unsuccessful plot, and to celebrate um, the plot being foiled, we use gunpowder to let off fireworks. So yeah, because a lot of people don't know, but remember, remember the fifth of November, the gunpowder treason and plot is actually a thing that happened. So it's not just for before right. vendetta; it's actually something that happened. A lot of people that don't live in the UK don't know that. That's why I told you. Yes, to well now they know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyway, what about what about you? Well, I it has been a while, which doesn't mean that I've been doing a terrible lot outside of my house. Uh, I did meet with someone in Polanco, uh, an actress and friend, who helped me talk about some masters because she did a degree where I want to do my masters. So I talked to her about that, and it was nice because I spent a day out in in Polanco, which is a nice area. Went to a coffee shop and did some work there as well very freelancey and I worked <laughs> on in another short film that I'm assisting production design in so that was fun cool I'm gonna work on it this afternoon as well so we've been working on that yeah sure and um what have you been I know you've been watching a few different things and uh yeah tell tell us about that so I've been, yeah, I have watched and read a few things in the past couple of weeks. So I started and finished The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is the news of Adventures of a Teenage Witch. But it's completely different because the old one used to be, it used to have a laugh track on it. It was completely comedy. And this one's more about sort of a witch's coven and it's a little bit darker. And yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. In It's very entertaining. I don't think it's the most brilliant show I've ever watched, but I think it was very entertaining. I will be watching the second series. I, I just put it on while I did the sign and stuff, and it was quite, it was quite nice to have on. Uh, I read a, an interview done by Harry Styles to Timothy Chalamet, and I want to talk a little bit about this new sort of... It's not new, but it's been done a lot more. Format of interview where it's a celebrity interviewing another celebrity. And I think it really works sometimes because it tends to be that the person being interviewed feels a lot more comfortable because they don't think that the other person's trying to get a specific type of information out of them, which sometimes they yeah. do with, with journalists. Unless the journalist is very good, which there are many. 
so it was it was a very good read. Sometimes it even felt like Timothy was interviewing Harry. It was it was very back and forth. And I think the reason I enjoyed it is that I've always put them both in the same category of people, even though they'd never met. They've they've still never met in real life. This was over the phone. And I thought, oh, why why have I always sort of thought of them together? And in the interview, they start talking about the way that they represent masculinity. And I think that's why I've always grouped them together, because they tend to, they have the same thoughts on masculinity, which means that they have always represented it the same way, which is quite, is quite a feminine way to, to represent their masculinity. And they talk about that in the interview, and it's very, very interesting, and I'll link it in the show notes. Um, along the same veins, I read an interview that Willem Dafoe did with Robert Pattinson, uh, for interview the magazine which was very very interesting as well because they talked a lot about acting at a at a much deeper level than than a journalist would be able to to bring out in someone uh especially because Willem and Robert have worked together in a film already and I want to read a quote that I found very very inspiring from that interview that Robert Hansen said which is I'll literally do a movie specifically because I think I can't do it. You just hope you don't drown. And then when you don't drown, you hopefully figure out how to swim. And I thought it was very inspiring. And it does obviously isn't just about acting, it's about anything we do. Sometimes it's good to do things because you think you can't do it, because you're going to learn so much. So I thought that was cool and inspiring. (laughs) For sure. And lastly, last night I started watching... The big phenomenon that is Killing Eve, which is a show that Fraser has also finished. I've just started it. It stars Sandra Oh, who most people know from Grey's Anatomy. I forget the name of her character in Grey's Anatomy, but she's uh, Meredith's best friend. <laughs> and Jodie Com- Comer, and they're both brilliant in it. I think Sandra Oh in, in Grey's Anatomy proved to a lot of people that she's a really good actress, but she I'd only seen her in that character, so it was very cool to see her do something different. And she's very good in it. And I think Jodie Comer is one to watch. I think she's she's a super, super interesting actress that we should keep an eye out for because I think in everything I've seen her, I just found her very, very interesting. So yeah, what have you been watching? Honestly, compared with that, barely, barely anything. <laughs> um, being very busy, so <laughs> haven't had much time. Um, although last night I did watch an old episode of The Thick of It, which I hadn't watched for a long time. <laughs> Uh, so that was very funny, um, but yeah, not not too much. Been listening to a bit of music. Uh, there was a track that came out recently by Mo called Blur, which I quite like. Mm. And yeah, I've been listening to a lot a lot of music lately, but um, not not had enough time for for TV really. I've also been listening to a ton of podcasts, so I think maybe one time we can talk about some of the podcasts that we listen to or something. I'd listen to um, so but, many podcasts. Yeah, in a future episode. Yeah. So for our first or main topic this week, we wanted to talk about uh, something which is quite quite contextual and quite relevant, which is the phenomenon of believing or being more predisposed to believing the news or viewpoints that you agree with. I think the statement that we came up with was, we believe the news that we like, or it's we listen to what we want to hear. So we wanted to talk in the context of sort of the modern political climate that we've seen not only in the last week with 
sort of elections in the US, but also more broadly over the last couple of years in terms of how we both have noticed and a lot of people all around the world have noticed there's a change in the way that people debate. Um, there's been a change in the way that people consume news and people are really concerned, I think, about how they get their information. Mm. Um, I actually listened, uh, just just remembered that I listened to an interview with um, Jimmy Wales, who founded uh, Wikipedia. Um, and he was talking about how one of his new sort of ventures that he's working on is to sort of fact check news. And so he was talking about people believing things and, and stuff like that. So it kind of inspired um, both of us to, to look at this this topic, really. Yeah. And I think we both live in countries that have been in the past couple of years, highly divisive in terms of politics. And I think it's happening sort of worldwide. It's a bit of a... And I think it's not the first time it happens, but it is the first time I notice it in, in my lifetime, how divided opinions are and how much people just argue about what news to believe and how it's impossible to change someone's mind on what facts they choose to believe. So I think is it was an interesting topic to yeah. to bring up and I basically found an article on the Business Insider which has four points on why we tend to believe what we want to believe and I found them very sort of summarizing of the entire situation so we're just going to kind of go through them and have a little chat about them so the first one is cognitive simplicity which is basically we try we believe what we understand so if you read a statement and you understood it your brain rewards you. It's like, oh, well done. You understood that thing that you just read. So you tend to believe it. If you understand the statement, you tend to believe it because you're like, yeah, I get that. I understand what it's saying. So it's true. So it's like, so there's an instinctive sort of agreement, if you understand. Yeah, that. exactly. And there's okay. there's a pleasure in that. Like you're... Right. Because in your brain, there's this sort of like, oh yeah, good. And it's related to the the area of your brain that that gives you pleasure it gives you sort of this idea that cool. yeah I, i'm right i believe that and then on the other hand which is the second point there's cognitive dissonance which is once you already believe something if someone else comes up to you and says no the opposite is true that triggers something in your brain called cognitive dissonance which is a tension of holding to conflicting thoughts in your head and it's easier to just disregard the new information because your brain already told you the other one was right. So you're just like, no, I do not want to feel the, this pain because uh, it's related to the pain areas of your brain. You just go like, no, I, I, I want to believe the other thing I already believed. And it's easier to disregard new facts than to challenge your core beliefs. So, yeah. for example, creationists, they challenged the theory of evolution not with science, not not with saying, oh, but science says otherwise. They challenge it because it would change their core belief of religion. And that's why they do it. In the same way climate change deniers will challenge climate change, not with the science behind it. It's more about the fact that it would change government regulations and they do not believe in that to their core. So it's it's a lot easier to just deny whatever is against what you already believe yeah and it's quite interesting when you talk about sort of the pleasure and pain of hearing sort of viewpoints that you agree with or disagree with because we actually naturally then sort of seek that out let's say we're online 
and we're on social media, particularly Twitter, people curate things that they naturally, they curate more of the things that they like and that they agree with, whether Mm. that's politically or with kind of other areas of life. It might even be with your, your football team or your sports team. You rather have views that you agree with about that because ultimately that's going to make you or give you more sort of satisfaction from from reading those things so there's sort of maybe an element of feedback and um what do you call it like self-reinforcing yeah, sort of behavior exactly. that leads to to that happening yeah exactly and it feels it feels good to be like oh no i'm right it it feels nice so people want to yeah, do and that here's, yeah and consuming more things that agree with exactly with what you think. It, it has been reinforced by social media because you curate whatever you follow. So. Yeah, and ultimately the purpose of whether we like it or not, the purpose of you know social media is to give us enjoyment and to keep yeah, us coming exactly. back for more. Yeah. So they're designed to give you that kind of positive feeling and positive feedback, yeah. which is a weird thing to think about. Otherwise, we wouldn't go on social media. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's a lot of people on Twitter, for example, on Facebook, that get off on arguing with other people because they want to... It's not because they think they're going to change their mind. It's because they want to reinforce that they're right. Yeah, and find other people that agree with them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of... Both of cognitive simplicity and cognitive dissonance create this thing called the backfire effect, which means that if you read something that is specifically against what you believe it will just reinforce your first thought because you'll think that oh they're just lying because they know the other thing's real like that that actually i know that sounds really stupid when you put it that simply but it actually happens this was something that business insider uh put with an example of a study that i'm gonna so explain so in dartmouth college uh some subjects were given fake newspaper articles and they confirmed misconceptions that had been widespread. So in this case, it was WMDs in Iraq. And then after reading those, the same subjects were given corrective articles, which said that the WMDs were never found. The liberals who firstly opposed the war, they took the new article and they accepted it and they rejected the old article because that's what they used to believe. And the conservatives that supported the war did the exact opposite. They reported being even more convinced that there were WMDs after the correction, arguing that this only proved that Saddam Hussein had hidden them. Yeah, so they found a a way to sort of create, go back to their old viewpoint, basically. Exactly, and that's why it's called the backfire effect. Uh, Because no matter how much you correct someone, and this is not even about conservatives and liberals, it happens on both sides. If you correct someone and it's something that they don't believe in, they'll find a way to make it into what they do believe. It's it's a crazy effect. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I think, weirdly, I see the same phenomenon in things that just something that I'd be thinking about today with football fans. So if something, a decision goes against your team and you see people arguing against it or saying, oh, no, the rules actually work like this you will then dispute like the validity of the rule you will dispute the way the other person's seen the incident you'll dispute like the motivations of the person arguing with you you'll always find something in sport to to and, and i think that's sort of the most for me it's like one of the most clear everyday 
examples of, of this happening is when you're sort of you've got this really strong belief in your team or whatever um, and it's really hard to sort of change your view and take a neutral perspective and definitely with with sort of big life views like about politics mm. or, or whatever it's, it's it has that sort of same effect yeah it on reflects people. on politics as well very very much in yeah. the same way so the last point that Business Insider talked about was tribal unity, which is very related to a communications theory. This is my sort of nerd communication student talking uh, mm-hmm. by Elizabeth Noel Newman called the spiral of silence, which is you want, you don't want to be the one that disagrees with your group because you're just on your own if that happens. So yeah. if you have found a group that you feel a part of, you, you will not stray far from their beliefs. So even if you can tell, like, oh, maybe that's not the best, and, and, and you tell yourself you're super objective so you can see that there's something non-factually correct about what your group believes, you're not going to talk about it. You're not going to say it. You don't want to be on your own. Yeah, so that, that's something that, that's related to something else that I was, was reading about straying from your group's belief, is that beliefs are actually there to protect you. They're there to sort of make you feel safe. And especially when you're part of a group, having that shared belief is something that sort of going back to, to thousands of years ago would sort of keep people together and keep people keep people safe. And it's it's funny because in the world that we're in now, we come into contact with so many people with completely different beliefs about a lot of different things. So we're maybe not engineered in the right way to to sort of have that much conflict and disagreement yeah exactly because of cognitive dissonance is too Mm. much for our brains and i think now this travel unity thing is very interesting because we're not talking about it in in the sense in the tribal original sense of the word because a lot of people now disagree with their families it's not really about that if you found a group online that you feel a part of you're not going to disagree with that group even if it's online even if you're not with them is very interesting. Yeah, so before it was once a matter of life and death, whereas yeah. now it's not, but we still have the kind we of have that instinct. the instincts are still there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. And there's something something else I wanted to talk about quickly, which is there's a book which I want to read because it sounds really good. And it's called Denying to the Grave, Why We Ignore the Facts That Will Save Us by Sarah E. Gorman and her dad, Jack M. Gorman, both psychologists. And they basically say that processing information that supports one's beliefs, it will lead to a dopamine rush and that creates feelings of pleasure. So you're not going to want to even process information that doesn't agree with your beliefs, which means that say you see a headline on Facebook or on Twitter that goes against what you believe, you're not even going to click on the article. You do not want to process that. Yeah, 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 for sure. No, I can I can definitely believe that, and it's it it it's so scary because it's so visible in the way that we behave and yeah. the way that we choose to consume information is just it's almost beyond our sort of control because it's our brains are deciding for us what information we want to consume. It's really really hard to be conscious of, yeah. of that. So the other thing that that I was thinking that this topic really brought to to mind for me is that I couldn't work out or I was trying to work out whether and as I think we've alluded to it whether this is sort of a a purely recent phenomenon Mm. Um, because 
I, I was trying to imagine, go back, let's say, 50, 60 years or however long uh, ago, because what I realise is that we're so surrounded by news and views. So weirdly, when we think about Facebook, that was created to sort of help us keep in touch with our friends or families or whoever. But actually, everyone who is on social media or who goes online is being constantly connected to to news and politics and different issues and there's no way to avoid that and so we're constantly exposed to different opinions we're constantly forming our own opinions about these things just all the time every time we unlock our phones we're we're doing that and I was trying to think in the past was this sort of did did, did this sort of news overload exist Mm. (laughs) because I imagine that people used to consume information in a very different way they used to consume sort of a daily newspaper or weekly news newspaper or you know tv daily but they're simply what we weren't kind of as connected to other people and uh, opinions so although I would say we're much better informed than we used to be because we have access to so many different opinions some of it some of it might be low quality some of it might be high quality um, but we are exposed to so many different stories, but it's definitely kind of a, a, a big societal shift. Yeah, it's like um, that we've had. It's like a double edged sword, I guess. Yeah. Uh, on the on the one hand, whoever wants to be informed will be informed. You can be. You can look it up. You can you can look at very reputable sources, but it also means that we have more dissonance than ever because we can read more about different opinions and I do think that that is that specifically is a new phenomenon I don't think necessarily the whole fake news thing is new it's more aggravated by social media but it's happened with regimes all throughout history think think North Korea think Hitler think fake news have, have always been around but it's it's more about the fact that now it's so, so, so much and there's an overload of information and we just pick and choose what what we want to believe, which can be very dangerous. Yeah, and there's so many different dimensions on which people can be sceptical. Mm-hmm. So they can be sceptical about what they're reading, they can be sceptical about the author, they can be sceptical about the publication. Um, and it's all, yeah, everything is, you know, everything is a, a different issue or a different viewpoint and it's really hard to to just find solid ground sometimes yeah yeah exactly i want to i want to finish this by reading a george orwell quote um (laughs) that that he wrote in an article and i think it's it it is very important to always keep in mind from when he wrote it to today to probably in a hundred years it'll be important to keep this in 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 your mind and it's to see what is in front of one's nose needs a constant struggle The point is, we're all capable of believing things which we know to be untrue, and then, when we are finally proved wrong, imprudently twisting the facts so as to show that we were right. Intellectually, it is possible to carry on this process for an indefinite time. The only check on it is that sooner or later, a false belief bumps up against solid reality, usually on a battlefield. And, yeah, I just thought that was quite poignant and summarised what we just said. (laughs) yeah so our second topic is about 
starting a business and freelancing. We wanted to talk about very personally what the biggest challenge what the biggest challenges have been because we both started a business, Fraser more than me, because he was he is CEO. And <laughs> that makes it sound a lot more grand than it is. As in I started a, a small business. Yeah. And yeah. I do freelancing as a job, which was a decision to make. So we wanted to talk about personally the biggest challenges we've had. We don't really have a sort of articley three biggest challenges of starting a new business. No. This is very sort Although of, I could I could try and write one. You could, yeah. But this is more about thinking about our own experiences. What have been the biggest challenges? So Yeah, so for me the number one thing which so just for a bit of, of context, I started Mexi Clothing uh, a couple of years ago. So about, well, just under two and a half years ago was when I started working on that business. And we still have it as a sort of side project, mm-hmm. having been working on it um, full time previously. And definitely the number one thing that I've reflected on and that I've been trying to figure out going forward is how to turn, how you successfully turn something that you're passionate about or interested in into a job and how that is sort of quite a big risk and it's something that I've actually read a lot about and heard from other entrepreneurs or freelancers so in my case I was really interested in sort of design and fashion and also in kind of Mexican culture and it's really really hard to sort of take that excitement and maintain that on a day-to-day basis whilst having to do sometimes quite mundane sometimes quite difficult sometimes Mm. quite stressful work and there's a risk and I've not personally experienced this but there's definitely something a lot of people have said is that it's hard to maintain something as your passion so for example one person I talked to a while ago was a photographer but as part of starting out as a photographer they had to go to quite a lot of concerts and gigs where they were basically barely paid anything to to even be there Um, and ultimately they sort of lost the original sort of fire and passion yeah the drive um, for it yeah and they ended up enjoying it and going back in going back to photography more as a passion because they just were able to enjoy it much more when it wasn't connected to the kind of financial outcome and so that's definitely something that I've been reflecting on sort of going forward if I were going to go full-time again on my business or start another company how would I feel about working on that project all the time yeah I think there are things that tend to stop being enjoyable when you have to do them for income Um, yeah and that's why a lot of people start with a side hustle because you already have an income so you don't have to do it you want to do it so it's always a risk when you decide to do it full time because it it could stop being enjoyable and you're you're kind of stuck with it now yeah that's part of what can make it unenjoyable is the fact that you enjoy playing football you enjoy playing music you enjoy taking photos because you choose to do it yeah then if you have to do it yeah it can definitely lose that sort of escapism that you once once had from it yeah and it is a risk but i don't think it should stop anyone no definitely (laughs) not because you have to that is one of the another really hard thing is that you have to ultimately try things to mm. discover what it's really like it's really hard to imagine what it's like to be full time doing something until you're actually doing it especially with you know 
uh, your own business because it's hard to imagine the weight of the the pressure or whatever it is that's that's driving you it's really really hard to imagine it until you're actually in that situation yeah um, so definitely starting with a, a side as a as a side project or sort of slowly increasing the amount of time you spend doing it to test how you feel is a good idea the second sort of major challenge and it's going to sound like quite a broad topic is funding um and that's both in in my case when you're when i was starting out or i think when anyone when anyone starts a, a business when they're they're young in particular is funding both the the company and also yourself mm. because ultimately when when you start out they are sort of one and the same thing and it wasn't something i'd necessarily fully appreciated it sounds obvious looking back but there's so many hidden costs that you will both encounter for your in your own life um which you won't necessarily realize if you're if you're you're young or early in your career but also for for the company because things rarely rarely turn out cheaper and things rarely end up bringing in sort of or being more profitable than you expect so you have to be incredibly disciplined with how you use the money that you have and you have to question everything yeah that you spend and start small and just slowly get kind of bigger and bigger with investments that you make um and that's you know i'm good with money i would say but when it came to sort of starting a business and launching a business with a certain amount of money it's super super difficult yeah Um, and how this that sort of relates to freelancing is whatever you choose to do as freelance you have to have got the money to start it in the first place so if you want to be a photographer you need the money to buy a camera if you want to be a designer you need the money for adobe suite yeah and the other big challenge that freelancers have is that and I noticed that you have this challenge and everyone has, has this challenge is that you're constantly having to estimate how much a job is, is worth to you. Yeah. It's because so it's hard. really, it, it's super hard to say, okay, it's two hours. It's this much power. It's this price because you've, it's, you know, there's so many considerations you're weighing up, you're weighing up the clients yeah. expected price. You're weighing up the effort it's going to take you. And it's sometimes really, really hard to assess that and plan that ahead. And ultimately that's, what determines your income and the mm. time you have to work on other projects. I think that that has been the hard, the hardest thing about being a freelancer for me has been the finance aspect from deciding how much to charge to keeping my finances organized because you have to do everything yourself when you start a business or where you go when yeah. you go on a, as a freelancer. You you handle from finance to all the creative aspects. You handle it yourself. Uh, yeah. You handle the client yourself, so it's a bit PR. You do everything, so yeah. it, it it can be very difficult. And for that, I would recommend again. I've recommended this before, the Little Black Book by Otega Wagba, because it it does help you sort of realize how much to charge people. Um, obviously, it doesn't tell you because there's no guidebook, but it helps you organize it so what I do is I have an hourly rate and then I just think okay this is going to take me about four hours so this is how much I'm going to charge yeah so I think that's the best way but yeah it's it's very difficult yeah it's super difficult and just kind of going back to to the point you made about doing everything yourself the biggest thing that I discovered and learned when I worked on my own business for sort of nine 10 months full time was that your weaknesses become you you learn so much about Mm. your weaknesses and they become really really exposed 
um, and they'll if you're trying to run a company they'll those things can can really hold back your your progress so in my case I was not necessarily fast enough at executing sort of the business plan that I'd made um, and I found it really hard to kind of get into the mindset of going fast and moving really really quickly um, but also the other thing I found interestingly is I found it really hard to go deep on some tasks yeah so because there was such a big list of things I had to do I'd end up sort of skimming through them rather than sort of giving some things the attention they deserved and I've noticed that that's definitely a weakness um, and you've got to then I think ultimately you've got to go on the side of playing to your strengths and doing what you're good at or doing what works mm. while simultaneously not letting things fall apart and trying to develop and, and work on those skills so the number one way to do that I think is to get a mentor yeah. Or to, if you can, work with other people. It's it's a bit different if you're a freelancer. Maybe a mentor is the best option. Um, but if you're working on a business, is to try and bring people alongside you or to advise you who have those skills or who can at least remind you of sort of your responsibilities to to improve. But but definitely, um, I learn a huge amount about myself from from going on that journey. Yeah, and that that is something good. It is a challenge. It's a challenge to be faced with your weaknesses. But I also think it's something that is such a good experience because if you ever decide to stop your own business or if you ever decide to do a different job, you already know what you can play to because you already know what you're good at um, and you know what you're bad at because you worked on everything. So I think you can develop a very thick skin uh, yeah, and, and, your own business. Yeah, and it can help set you off on sort of another path as well because you'll go, oh, I was really good at that when I ran my own business mm. or when I did X, Y, Z. And yeah, it can definitely help you discover sort of a lot of, a lot of new opportunities. Yeah. Something else I find hard freelancing, that I find a challenge, is that for a sort of normal job, normal in in inverted commas yeah uh, <laughs> you you have to sell yourself on the interview and then you get the job and that's it like normally you don't have to sell yourself every day when you're a freelancer most of your job is selling yourself most of your job is saying i'm the best for this job because of this until you become big enough that people look for you you have to keep constantly selling yourself yeah, and and that's a huge amount of your energy mm. gets taken up by that um, and by planning that aspect of yeah. it rather than sort of doing what you're really probably good at. Yeah, exactly. And I think something else that I find very hard that I think you found hard as well is time management. Because when you're self-employed, when you're your own boss, time management is hard. Like it is actually very, <laughs> very difficult because... Obviously, when you have an office job, you also need to learn how to time manage. But there's not that much else you can do in your office. So you, you're like, okay, might as well work. Whereas when you're in your house, you can go out for a walk. You can go out with friends. You can do so many things that take... You can even watch a show on Netflix. It's very hard to time manage. Yeah, you've got to set the whole agenda. Exactly. And what I found hard is because you're a freelancer, sometimes with friends and stuff, you can't, you don't you don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I can't go to this because I have to be at the office or I'm at work. 
is more like I actually can go because technically I'm free, but I've got a lot of freelance <laughs> work to do. But a lot of yeah. people don't really get that. They're like, oh, yeah. she's just sitting in her house and she's not coming with us. So yeah. I find it hard sometimes to deal with that because you kind of have to say, I've got, I've got a job, but it's, it's harder for people to understand. So I have found that a real, real challenge. Yeah, so I think that's it for this week. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we will be back a little bit sooner uh, next time. Yeah, sorry about that. I edit the podcast, so it's normally my fault when it's like, sorry. Um, but yeah, <laughs> talk to you next week, hopefully. We might have a guest next week, which is very exciting. <laughs> so, yeah. Great, well, looking forward to it. So, uh, thanks yeah. so much for listening. Anything you want to tell us about this topics or anything, we can talk about it next week as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at underscore Natalia Albin. And I am at Fraser D. Bell. And we have an email, the Distance Diaries Podcast at gmail.com. So do get in touch with us. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast is hosted by Mexic Clothing, a brand that brings you modern Mexican fashion into the UK and Europe. For more, you can visit www.mexi.clothing. Thank you for listening.